Welcome to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. Very excited today because we have another female guest. And as you know, we probably have more male guests now than, than female. So uh, really thrilled to have with us Jill Bruno, Manager of Sales Development from Rocket Reach. Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're really excited to have you. And one of the things we want to talk about is women in sales because women make up 29% of sales reps. 26% of women are sales managers, and yet women in sales are proven to outperform their male colleagues, according to a study done by Exactly. So the lack of representation is often attributed to many things. So things like negative stereotypes, sexism, poor recruitment methods, gender wage gap. You know, traditionally women have, and I've been on the receiving end or experienced this myself, women have received lower salaries than their male counterparts yet organizations see greater profits with more women in sales. So we might want to look at sort of how organizations can increase their sales team diversity. So my first question to, to touching on this subject, very important subject, of course, women in sales. What got you, Jill, to, to get into a career in sales? Sure. And it's, it's just so crazy too. even some of those statistics that you just mentioned, it's just once you hear it out loud, it just hits you so much harder. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited. That's going to be a piece that we can speak about today. But to answer your question with my sales journey, I am the typical misfit story. You know, I went to college, didn't know what I wanted to do, to do then, graduated, still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I dabbled in a few areas just to collect a paycheck, but I did end up working for a car rental company. And I absolutely hated it. I was expected to dress extremely professional every single day, yet go in the back with a hose and clean cars. And I was filthy. I would have done anything to get out of that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I learned my lesson. Sometimes a paycheck is not worth it. But I was just very, very severely unhappy. And my sister's friend worked for this amazing tech company. And she was like, listen, we're hiring inside sales reps. It's entry level. You don't need to have any experience. We'll show you the ropes and teach you everything. Do you want to interview? I was like, hell yeah. Anything to get me out of where I am here. So I ended up, you know, joining the SaaS organization, didn't know what I was getting myself into, and I quickly fell in love with it. So this was an opportunity where I was working all inbound leads. So it wasn't called SDR, but, you know, we're talking 10 years ago. So where today it would definitely be an SDR role. And I quickly fell in love with it. I loved that I was chasing new people, having new conversations. And that's really where my entire career started. And looking back, quitting that job to getting something I was scared and nervous about was the best door opener and best decision ever because I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I landed in sales and I've never, ever looked back since. Can you name what was that first uh, tech firm that you said? Oh, yeah. No, I could happily name them. I love them. I worked for iSims, which was an applicant tracking software company yeah, in New Jersey. Yeah, I know. I know iSims. <laughs> yeah, no, they were really, they were a fantastic company to get started with because they really had a good entry-level program. So mm -hmm. I was very blessed to have that opportunity. Yeah. Now, you know, the, these years you're uh, Rocket Reach, right? Tell us a bit yes. about that and what you're doing there. Of course. So I knew from that point when I was an SDR I knew that the account executive and closing path, that wasn't for me. I was so passionate about, you know, building pipeline, booking opportunities and qualifying. 
And I knew I wanted to become a leader. I had some leaders that were fantastic that I really looked up to. And I also had some leaders that I really disliked and thought they were not the best of people. So I knew I could do better than them, but I also wanted to be the people who inspired me. So I always mm -hmm. knew leadership was going to be my path. So after I left iSIMS, um, I did join another SaaS organization. And then that was not the best environment, but that led me to Rocket Reach, where I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my career. So right now at Rocket Reach, we're yeah. a contact data provider. So the beauty in that is we work with sales, marketing, and recruitment professionals who do need personal, professional, phone and email and company information. So I love our conversations are speaking with people just like me. We're speaking with sales. This was my third opportunity to build a team from scratch. So I was able to take a lot of lessons learned in the past and incorporate them into what I'm doing today. And it's just been amazing. I believe I've hired at least 10 reps alone this year and have at least five or six promotions. So mm -hmm. things are really great. Wow, that's great. I think, um, well, shout out to Rocket Reach. You know, good to the, you're, you're happy there and building the team. Do you know, it's it's funny. We've we've spoken to a few people now across our episodes and, and SDR has become, was often seen as a path to being, you know, sales. So it's, it's great to hear you say, you know, how that's the area for you and it's become a role within itself, you know, and you can really do something and make a career out of it as well. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about that for a second because... I felt a lot of pressure when I was earlier in my career. And I admit, I let fear be my guide because mm -hmm. I would, had been in a part of environments where, you know, if you're an underperforming account executive, you're fired. And I was so scared of being fired that I never took a risk into something I could have been good at. Yeah. So granted, again, I'm exactly where I feel that I need to be from the SDR world, but I did feel a lot of pressure. So even when I manage now, I tell people, if you want to be an SDR forever, amazing. Let's make it happen. If maybe sales breaks you and you want to switch departments, that's okay too. Let's yeah. make it happen. So I really just stress, you know, let passion be your guide, not mm -hmm. pressure from what anybody else is doing or what you think you should do. Do what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. You said you were too scared to take risks. Does that mean you take a lot more risks now? Not necessarily. I was scared earlier on in my career of failure, and that's mm -hmm. why I, ne I was too scared to be an AE. And yeah. I admit that now, but that's why, you know, I just felt like, oh, you know, if you're an SDR and you don't get to that closing role, like you're a nobody. And that's mm, not yeah. true. I was an <laughs> SDR far longer than some people would say is okay. Uh, you know, I fought for the management side, which it's exactly where I belong, but I take different types of risks. But that's one thing that I wish, like the best advice I could give to somebody earlier in their career is be an SDR learn how to cold call, learn yeah. how to close deals, learn how to nurture relationships as an account manager and reduce churn. Because that way, if you've dipped your toes into so many sales positions, you're going to have so much experience that if say you do want to be a manager, you can manage a full cycle team. Like right now I have to, I'm, I'm an SDR manager. Don't tell me to manage your account executives. I've never done the role, yeah. but had I had some of that experience, you know, who knows what could other opportunities could have opened. But again, I did let fear be my guide in in the wrong way early on yeah. i relate to that as well as a woman definitely allowing that fear to stop me from taking on sort of bigger opportunities and pushing yeah. myself further in sales and also being in a very male dominated sales environment oh, um, yeah. i started back in in 2001 and <laughs> you know it was i i was always like one or two females of part of the sales team 
there was this sort of sales bros, what we call in the UK, old boys network, where mm-hmm. women in sales couldn't be part of that. And I'm pretty sure that my counterparts were being paid more money than me, my yeah. male counterparts, than, than, than me. But what would you say sort of for women starting out in sales, what's the best sort of advice that you, you could give them? I mean, things are changing now, mm-hmm. but they're still an underrepresented group in sales. You know, you have to fight hard for it. And that's anything in life. You have to, if you want it, fight for it and don't back down because regardless who your competition is against for a role that you're seeking employment within, you know, you have to fight for it. And that's the thing is, you know, I think we've come a long way because even back to my earlier days when I was fearful, I did. I looked at an account executive team. It was all white men. There was no diversity, you know, very few females, which they did get better at, but I think as far as putting yourself out there, because there is a statistic that I learned through Girls Club with Lauren Bailey, which really stuck to me that a woman feels that they need to be 100% ready to apply for a job or a promotion or ask for the rates. Whereas a man, they only need to be 60% ready. So I think that we hold ourselves back and maybe it's fear. I'm not really sure, but it's really, you know, people need to believe in themselves get out of their shell and just apply. You have to do it. And if you are breaking through as a career, you know, as a woman in sales, know that you're no less than any male counterpart that you're going to be sitting beside. You really just have to have the confidence that you can kick ass the same way that anybody else can. And not even just males, any other person, you are just as good. So fight for it. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I mean, Charlotte, I can't imagine if it's 29%, well, you know, when you started, you said in 2001, what it would be. And it's crazy that it's still only 29%. I mean, I guess both of you, do you think it's not enough opportunity or is it still perhaps the fear of that environment, not wanting to even try and take the opportunity? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I think a lot of it is the fear of perhaps of the environment and that, people are sort of drawn into this whole, oh, it's a male, it's more for males than it is for females. I would say that maybe there's a fear of rejection because, you know, most people I meet, most women I talk to, there's definitely this, you know, like you were saying, Jill, you know, there's a fear that holds them back more so than sort of men, I think, are more likely to take the plunge and not let fear hold them back. Whereas with women, it's, yeah, fear and rejection are seen and experienced differently. I also think it's a level of intimidation because as a woman, if you get into the interview process and every single person you speak with is male, maybe you feel that you wouldn't fit in. Maybe, Maybe you face sexual harassment at a last organization and that's partially why you're looking for new employment. Maybe you feel uncomfortable knowing leaving one scenario that maybe you're scarred from maybe you have ptsd and then you're walking into an entirely new set of men that triggers you like i don't know it could be so many different things so i think that's where you know the interview process and recruiting people need to be very intentional about who candidates speak with and also that culture that you're setting because if you want to do it from that organizational level you have to do it right and again intentionally choose to create a diverse environment yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it must be frustrating the the how slow the you know the pace is to kind of get get that number up. But you know, we have amazing people like both of you, which you know inspire people, and hopefully that when it comes to that interviewing period, yeah, they'll be speaking to you. And we've had some amazing 
um, female salespeople on Sam. Uh, McKenna w- was one. So it's mm-hmm. it's improving, just not not fast enough, I think. And so what do you think, and touched on, on women in sales, which is obviously a, a super important topic, Jill, what do you think is going to have the biggest impact on sales for the future? So, you know, I'm in the States. I know that you guys mentioned, you know, you're overseas there. But like speaking from, you know, really that U.S. perspective, things are really slow and steady. You know, COVID, the pandemic, that set us back in a really wild way. I think that we were thriving from a sales perspective earlier on in 2022. And then once April hit, there has been a dramatic steady decline. So, I mean, granted, I think this really depends on, you know, your company, who your target is, the products that you sell. Um, you know, is it a product that keeps a company's, you know, who, who you sell to, does it keep their lights on and they can't live without it? Or is it a nice to have that people can push off purchasing because they can still thrive without it? You know, people are not jumping in with, you know, 100% certainty on these purchasing decisions. They're really taking their time and things are delayed. So I know we do have to see how the the economics turn out over here. And, you know, I am no economic expert. I, I don't watch the news because it's all scary stories. So I, you know, again, not the best person to speak to this, but I can only speak from my experience and what I see that companies are struggling. Look, go on LinkedIn. Every single day, it's a new company that had a, a layoff, a new individual who's seeking new employment. So there's definitely some challenging times, which, you know, my fingers are crossed for a better, you know, 2023. But, you know, I think the future of sales right now is dependent upon getting out of this this economic downturn. Well said. And we've seen with the pandemic a push, haven't we, towards more sort of sales tech technology. Um, You know, there's a lot of companies out there, startups, um, things like Lavender, email tools, um, Mm -hmm. plenty of sales enablement tools. But getting getting the approval, the sign-off, mm-hmm. the spend is way more complicated. And actually trying to get something approved in the company I work for, it's way more complicated than and, and difficult, more difficult than it was, say, two years ago. Yeah, and what I think where people are really going to thrive, and this is what we're seeing at Rocket Reach, which has really been tremendously successful, is you know that PLG product-led growth model mm-hmm. where people want yeah. to taste something. You know, they don't want to sign your annual contract and commit to the purchase, they want a free trial. They want, you know, perhaps a limited trial that's only a month that they can get out of if it doesn't make sense. So it's really, and I think that's fair, you know, give somebody a taste of what you can offer. So that way, when they choose to purchase, they're not going to churn because they knew what they were getting themselves into, you know? So I feel like if companies, and granted this model doesn't make sense for everybody, but those who can pivot towards that, I say do it because that's only going to turn into low-hanging fruit. So if marketing isn't delivering the leads that they once did because of you know the economics of new buyers, go after your smaller current buyers, keep them really happy, and those are going to flip into your lifelong customers. And you, you mentioned marketing there. Um, we like to talk about the, the alignment between the two. Do you have a lot of input or, or work with the sales? You know how, how closely is the relationship there? Absolutely, because being... You know, with my career in the SDR space, I have flip-flopped between marketing and sales countless times. Some SDRs are only under marketing, some are sales. So I am a firm believer it's a hybrid role. You need to be very close with marketing to understand what are they doing? What's going on? How did this interest come across my desk? How am I going to have that conversation? So 
I really believe in that relationship above all else because, again, if we're going to be that front line of that communication, you need to know what happened. So, but marketing is also changing. You know, when I first started out, you know, years back, it was the marketing drips with the lead score. You call and convince them to take a meeting. Like, that doesn't work anymore. Those are fluffy leads nowadays. You yeah. really need to be strategic with your ABM approach. You yeah. need to handpick who you want and fight for them. You have to get their attention, drive value, bring that relevance. And I really believe it takes a village. You need sales and marketing alignment because, you know, some of these accounts, some accounts are very hard to target and you can't do it on your own. So that's where I feel like relationships matter more than ever for marketing because, buyers have changed and we have to change with it yeah couldn't agree more and how do you do i mean previously it'd be as simple as perhaps you sit close to each other but now in a in a remote world is it just regular meetings how, how do you guys keep in touch so my company in particular we are very big on slack so we have probably more channels than we should, but there are several uh, specific Slack channels. So we actually work with some agencies as well. So we have some Slack channels for agency-specific topics, for what they're handling. We have an interim CEO who I am so fond of. She's wonderful. So her and I meet pretty frequently to discuss what's going on, what can get better, what's worked, what's not. So you know, outside of just those one-on-ones, I would just say very, very open communication because you can't always wait for a weekly meeting things need to happen in real time. So that's where I love Slack because I really feel that I'm in the know at all times. And it, again, based on the topic, there's a channel for it. Yeah, of course. Perfect. And now we're going to switch the conversation. We talked about all sort of the things, the marketing sales alignment, product-led growth, the impact, you know, what's going what's to have the biggest impact on sales for the future. What do you think, Jill, should stop in sales and marketing tomorrow? Um, well, when I was thinking about this question, I would say... If I had a magic wand and I could change something for the better starting tomorrow, it's got to be the blame game. You know, if there's bad leads or low volume, sales blames marketing. Or if the leads that they get aren't converting, it's marketing's fault. You know, nothing is anyone's fault, right? So I just, I hate that attitude. So, and even same, if, if it's the leads aren't responding, you know what? It's not my fault. It's whoever wrote the email template. Or, oh, I lost the deal. You know what? It's the prospect's fault. They weren't the right person. Or, oh, it's the product's fault. I think that people really, really need to take a step back. And they need to own their accountability. They need to A-B test more, see where the best results are coming from. We can't stay complacent because even in that example I gave of like drip campaigns and lead scores, things that worked in the past, that does not mean that they're going to work today. But if we don't change that becomes insanity, right? Doing the same exact thing and expecting results to change. But if they're not, then you're not making progress. So I really think that we, again, just need to be accountable. And I also think that cultures are changing. I think people used to be very scared to admit when they failed. Where now, like even with my team, I embrace it. I say, it's okay if you fail, as long as you recognize it and you know not to do it again, you're learning. You know, you're not getting fired, you know, it was a, a, an honest mistake, but let's pick ourselves up and learn from it. And again, I think that's going to help reduce some of this blame game, but only speaking, you know, on behalf of my company here. Yeah, the best way to learn. Mm-hmm. Fail first, but fail fast. Absolutely. Real is more attractive than perfect. And the blame game, you're absolutely right. You know, marketing and sales need to be uh, working together more in harmony. Salespeople, you know, helping marketing out, 
what are the objections that you know that typically they get from from client from prospects and clients and you know marketing should be jumping on sales calls so definitely more interactivity between between the two i think it's where you know people need to remember you have one goal and your one team i think you know and i've even worked for companies where departments get so siloed that it increases tension and friction and that needs to be a way of the past everybody needs to understand you know this is our culture this is what we're striving for again it's going to take a village we're all in this together so if we fail we'll pick ourselves up and learn but like you, you just can't have that bad attitude those are the people that i feel like they're going to get weaned out because yeah. like i said blame game has to be a thing of the past absolutely we ask every guest jill to give us a tip our audience our listeners what would be your tip Oh, geez. Okay. So I'd say one of my mantras that I always repeat is, and again, anything in life, personal, professional, you always have to remember what you can control and also things that you can't and don't drive yourself crazy about it. And from a sales perspective, you know, you can't control if somebody's going to answer you, if they're going to reply to your email. You can control your messaging though. You know, do your pre-call research, you know, plan appropriately, personalize it, have your relevance but, you know, that's what you can control and just don't beat yourself up. You know, there's always tomorrow. So just really stay mentally strong. Granted, I know that could be easier said than done. But when you face adversity or a challenge or even something that went really, really well, self-reflect, think about what you could control and then what you can repeat and things that you can't control and just don't drive yourself nuts over it. Life is too hard. So be yeah. easy on yourself, you know, give yourself pressure, but not too much. I agree with that. And definitely sales is all about, you know, focus on what you can control, focus on your input because you can't control your output. You know, you really can't control when that deal is going to come in. Uh, is it going to come on the date that you want it to come in? Probably not, but let yeah. go of, of the outcome, which has helped me a lot in sales. It's been a great show, Jill, and we've loved having you on. We could definitely talk more. Tell <laughs> our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I am very big on LinkedIn. So I am simple. I'm just Jill Bruno, J-I-L-L Bruno, B-R-U-N-O. And I always like to make my joke here. If you've watched the new movie Encanto, which is we don't talk about Bruno. So you can talk about me, I promise. I'm not <laughs> yeah. one of those Brunos here. But that's what people always think of. And if you would like to reach me, I am such an open book. So whether it be about a data provider, sales advice, anything at all. I love to pay it forward. My email is Jillian, J-I-L-L-I-A-N at rocketreach.co. So please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I would love to help you in any way that I possibly can. Awesome. Thanks, Jill. Fantastic. Of Thank you guys for having me. It was so nice chatting. Great to have you on the show. And to our listeners, I always ask, but ask you to leave us a rating, give us a review hit the subscribe or hit the bell so you don't miss an episode and we'll see you on the next show.